This week on Laser, we have a story about viruses being modified to build lithium-oxygen batteries, another about analyzing the crystal changes that a lithium-selenium battery undergoes, and the final story about microbial fuel cells built using a natural LUFA electrode. Welcome to episode seven of the Laser Podcast. I am Cameron Kopas. I'm Emily Sutton. And this week, our theme is going to be uh, batteries and fuel cells. We actually have three really similar stories, so uh, hopefully we don't mix them up. (laughs) (laughs) I've got them straight. I don't know about Cameron, though. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to depend on Emily for a little bit of that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Emily, do you want to introduce the first story? Uh, Which one should we do first? The one that you're really excited about? Okay, so this is based off of an article that was on MIT's website that they called Better Batteries Through Biology. Um, the a question mark in question there. Question mark. I'm Ron Burgundy. Better Batteries <laughs> Through Biology. Um, it's based on an article that was published in Nature Communications this past November uh, called Biologically Enhanced Cathode Design for Improved Capacity in Cycle Life of Lithium Ion Batteries. Um, it was published November 13th, 2003 in Nature Communications. I think you already said that. Yes, it was a very significant day in my life. That's why I had it memorized. (laughs) (laughs) And the, the first author was, uh, D.O. And the, uh, I know the uh, residing, uh, professor was the Angela Belcher. They're from, uh, they're from MIT. From MIT? Yeah. Yeah, it's a MIT professor in oh. research group. That's why MIT oh. published it. From MIT. Okay. Yes. Uh, so this group was looking to, uh, they were studying the catalyst electrode on uh, lithium uh, lithium oxide, air, lithium air batteries. Or lithium oxygen batteries. Or lithium oxygen called both batteries. Of them. Whatever, however you want to refer to it. And uh, I, I guess the idea was they were trying to increase the uh, surface area of the catalyst end of the battery. And they chose to look into using the genetically modified M13 virus to provide the uh, nanocatalyst for their devices. All right. We should probably go into explaining what the catalyst is and why you want to... Yes. <laughs> so, all right. The way a lithium air battery works is it's similar to a a normal lithium ion battery, except that it's open to the air and it actually needs oxygen from the atmosphere to charge and discharge. Well, let's see. It needs it to discharge. It needs oxygen from the atmosphere, and then it puts oxygen out into the atmosphere when you're charging it. So the way what way it is is there's two. There's a cathode and an anode. 
uh, just like you see on a normal battery, there's always the positive and the negative side. Right. The cathode is the positive side, and the anode is the negative side. Easy way you can remember that is that cats are always happy. Cats are always positive, so the cathode is positive. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worked. It's stuck with me since freshman year of high school. I guess my biology be. teacher taught us that. The, the more ridiculous those things are, the better you remember them. Yeah, so. yeah. and some, I'm sure some cats are happy. My cat's happy. Right, Dash? <laughs> so these cath the cathode and the anode are separated by an electrolyte. And when you're charging a battery, you're moving ions or electrons. The ions act as like electrons in yeah. lithium-ion batteries. So it's actually a positive ion. You're moving it from the cathode to the anode when you charge it. And then when you discharge it, you move it from the anode back to the cathode. So at each point, it actually has to react with the cathode and the anode to stay there and not just wander back on its own. So they're very careful about what th what materials they use for these uh, cathode and anodes. And I think in lithium, <clears throat> lithium oxygen batteries have like really high potential. They have very high charge capacity, but, and they've been theorized since like the 70s, I think, or maybe even earlier, uh, but they're very difficult because we don't have good cathode materials that will last a long time. Right. So right now you can make a great lithium oxygen battery that charges and discharges about five times and then it's it's dead because the ions will react at the cathode and they just stay there and they don't go back to the anode when you try to recharge it. Uh, just the same way a normal lithium ion battery like in your laptop breaks down over time, but mm. this happens much sooner because we don't have the right materials yet. So that's what they're working on, working on cathodes. So they saw a potential in using the filamentous M13 virus. So it's called referred to as filamentous because of the structure of the virus itself is um kind of like it reminds me of like uh the arms of like a pine tree like a Christmas pine tree. They're spiky all over the place. And they this this also this type of virus has uh, been modified. It, 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 its modification has been used in the past for building other nanostructures because it can be very uh, it can be highly selective. It can be manipulated to make specific three D structures, and uh, so so it seemed like something that could be really useful to make good uh, nanowires. How do you modify a virus? How do you modify a virus? Well. Uh, you have to insert a certain DNA, uh, whatever special DNA sequence that you want the virus to uh, exhibit. Exhibit, I yeah, I guess so. Like so, the phenotype of the virus, whatever uh, you you want it to implement, whatever this gene sequence does. So, you know, if you want it, if usually this this is more related to like how you manipulate bacteria is the kind of the example that I'm going to give here, but it, like, so you would give it a genetic sequence to incorporate into its DNA, usually through a couple of um, breeding cycles, it'll evolve with it incorporated in there. And then it has the, then it has the capability to um, do whatever it wants. So build a certain protein sequence or whatnot. The M13 virus um, has its pro the protein coat, which is the outer like shell of the virus, what keeps all the genetic material inside of it, uh, can be programmed to recognize and selectively bind, nucleate, and grow inorganic, uh, grow inorganic materials. 
Okay. So in this case, we'll be working. They wanted to use uh, manganese oxide as the cathode. Mm-hmm. So the M13 virus was it was attracted to these materials. They put it in like an aqueous environment, so it would collect the particles and build a spiky nanowire, which is com- different from your typical methods of forming nan- nanowires, and they'll have a smoother surface to them. But this one has a texture, the highly textured surface increases the surface area exponentially, so there's more space for the reaction to... So just it basically, yeah, increasing the surface area of the cathode right. increases how much charge the battery can store. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Okay. And I know you did, you actually did research in making nanowires, right? Uh, no. Just I, nanotubes? I, the nanotubes were just my, I've worked with nanowires before, but okay. I didn't, only made them in school once. <laughs> Really? What class did you make nanowires in? Material synthesis. We, we made nickel nanowires. That, that was Aww. our first experiment. That's cool. We never got to do that. And that was a elect- not electroplating, but it was it, we set up a, a, volt- a voltage and deposited the wires on a gallium uh, gallium indium surface. Huh. We didn't even get to touch the gallium either. The, gallium's dangerous. Yes, yeah, so the TA had to set that part up for us. But it was on like an alumina substrate with the gallium, and then it deposited the into the pores of the alumina. The, That's pretty cool. Yeah. So you guys made nanowires. All right. <clears throat> so normally you make uh, nanowires are, they have to be self-assembling structures. Right. Uh, you can't really go in and put an, a- an atom there over and over and over to make a, a big, long nanowire. So <laughs> you have to find some way, usually electrically, to force this material to grow in a, in a wire shape. Um, so I don't exactly understand what this is doing. The virus is the structure, and then you just cover the virus with with the metal that you want, or the virus makes the structure? Well... <laughs> did you already explain uh, that? And I, 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 I kind of did. I wish I had access to the article that would oh. explain specifically why... But we're a little bit behind. That is the limitation of our resources right now. Right, we have that. the abstract. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I know that's... it's a good question. It really is. I would like to know. But I, I'm assuming that they, it, they probably, like, kill the virus after it makes the structure. And then that's just the structure. So yeah, then you the structure that's it. left behind. Um, so, uh, I mean, uh, manganese oxide, I, I guess it wasn't enough conductivity alone, so... For their what they were looking for, they added palladium to the structure, some palladium ions to increase the conductivity. To of, increase the conductivity, or yeah, that's just the is. catalytic activity. Of it's like conductivity for some reason. Interesting. Okay. Or the, uh, but you know that's also at the word of the journalist who wrote this, who's probably not a scientist. So <laughs> anyway, I, I will. Yeah, it talks about allows them to catalyze reactions that take place during charge and discharging. So the, yeah. the palladium's not for conductivity. Not for conductivity, sorry. <laughs> That's, okay. yeah. That's it. Good. Anyway, so they um, added palladium to increase the, oh, what was it? The charge reaction. Ah. The catalytic activity. Cat- catalytic activity. They added palladium to increase the catalytic activity at the surface of these nanowires. Um, and when they actually set up their, their batteries with the... 
like a battery simulation. It was able to last for 50 cycles before breaking down. Yeah, that's a pretty big improvement. Yeah, uh, but they they recognize that that's not, you know, that's not going to work if you want it for your car or things like that. They need it to... They they <laughs> they did remark that there's much more to do in this sense, but there is potential for this as a less energy-intensive project, like you just set up the aqueous system and the viruses build and um what's great is you don't even in the viruses can be manipulated to build 3d structures of the nanowire so they don't have to you can't you don't have to grow a thousand individual nanowires you can have the viruses okay. programmed to build the structure of the cathode itself they grow a big lattice yes interesting interesting so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So it says in here that these batteries said that the modifications that they did have the potential to produce a battery that could provide two to three times greater energy density than today's best lithium-ion batteries. So that's energy density is the one of the two one of two metrics you use for or three metrics I guess you use for rating batteries. Energy density is how much energy per weight that it can store. Mm. Um, they also look at energy per volume for certain technologies, and then the n discharge cycles, number of discharge cycles, right. are the three the three main things you're looking for when you're reading anything about new battery technology. Just because those are the three things that you have to optimize to get right. public use. I mean, <laughs> it'd be great to have a tiny little battery in your car, but not really useful if it weighs dies. three tons, <laughs> or if it only lasts five cycles. <laughs> or 50. Yeah, 50. Yeah, 50 cycles. Okay, yeah. sorry. But still. Uh, but this is progress. Yes. As long as it, the fact that they've made any, or that they made a virus making battery electrodes is pretty dang cool. <laughs> I guess this is, yeah, it's kind of a weird question, but yeah. <laughs> you're making you're making things with viruses. So if viruses right. are going to be like a, a normal part of the manufacturing process, is that is that something that's more dangerous? Like, are, are we going to have outbreaks? Is this, is this going to be the zombie apocalypse because somebody dropped a battery and it broke open instead well, of spilling acid? Uh, <laughs> that there, I guess it, you would have reason to be afraid of that, but from at the, at this point of evolution of the M13 virus, it is not harmful to human beings. I'd... So what what is this virus from? Do you know what's uh, like? What's the history of the M thirteen? The history of it, I just yeah, I, I don't know. They like won't talk about where it came from. So the the way I guess we can use this later. The way they form the M thirteen virus is uh, they take the M thirteen plasmids from some that which are the genetics, the DNA sequence that we want that gives the virus its ability to look for inorganic materials and manipulate them. And they actually insert it into the E. coli, which is a bacteria, and it's kind of confusing. So the DNA goes into the E. coli, e. coli and uh, is replicated, and they <clears throat> somehow infect it with the virus that we want. So when a virus will uptake DNA and excrete its own DNA, and okay. part of the exchange, it takes the oh, genetically so it, so modified DNA sequence into itself. 
So is M13 a bacteriophage then, not a regular yes. virus? Yes. Oh, okay. Well then, bacteriophages don't affect humans anyway, right? right? They don't right. affect animals. Bacteriophages right. are viruses that only inject them, or only infect bacteria. Yes. Okay, so, so maybe we should... So that's kind of cool. So you almost... But then yeah. you also have, again, <laughs> along the same vein, you have to have a factory that's with a factory making these viruses that has to have E. coli. Right. Or and, some other bacteria. Yeah. So you're but basically... But typically we go with E. coli because that's the one that biochemical engineering knows best. It's not necessarily the greatest resource. <laughs> like some, I, I have professors that have argued that like we wish we could use other things, but it's the only thing that they know, like inside and out, and it's easily manipulated. And so a lot of times really? when you grow, when you use bacteria to modify genetics and then modify an trans animals, so transgenics, uh, we use E. coli because that's the most familiar ge uh, genome sequence. That's weird. That's the only reason. So, so maybe it could work in other bacteria. We just don't, right? Use but we it. don't know them well enough. Okay. Especially because you know bacteria mutate and modify very quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, if there is an E. coli outbreak, we cannot use these viruses. <laughs> you know, when they're like, "Oh, there's E. coli on the spinach. Don't eat the don't eat the spinach." Like nobody knows what that means. They just go, "Oh God, that sounds horrible," but. Somebody yeah. messed up when they were um, genetically modifying our food. Who knows? Maybe instead of <laughs> instead of getting dysentery or whatever, you just get batteries. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> then we can use humans to grow the nano wires. Maybe, maybe that's not such a great idea. <laughs> no, <laughs> but um, so as long as the bacteriophages are controlled and the E. coli is controlled, you know, I, it should be. Yeah, I guess. Fine. Yeah, okay. Huh. But not controlling bacteria is, is not <laughs> as hard as controlling viruses, because bacteria right. are much bigger. Right. Okay, cool. Good. I'm glad you knew what a bacteriophage was. That's why I was like, I was like ah. <laughs> freshman biology. Same guy who taught me <laughs> that cats are always positive. Yes. <laughs> Uh, person made a huge impact in your life. I guess. Mr. Brown. <laughs> Mr. Brown, are you listening to this podcast? Thank you for teaching me some biology, because I haven't taken a biology class since then. <laughs> I, I'm i starting to like them, since reading all these papers, since we started doing the podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't. Do, we can bridge the gap between material science does not have to be all inorganics all the time. That's we true. Can, we can manipulate living organisms or study them to take their naturally occurring techniques and stuff, to mimic them, mimic them. Biomimicry. Biomimicry. Yeah. I'm, I'm plugging my research right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else we need to talk about? Um, if anyone would like to spend $32, you can pick up a copy of this one. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually, even through our, our university access, we couldn't get the full paper. Uh, for whatever reason, we don't get... Nature Communications articles until like two months after the paper is published, and I need to go talk to a librarian about that because that's happened to us a few times. Yep. Okay. Compare Speaking air batteries of to air batteries. Lithium batteries.
So in the same vein as the story we just finished a few moments ago, uh, <laughs> not an hour ago or anything. Uh, this is all in real time. There's no editing whatsoever. We always make factual statements. Double check by Wikipedia. We <laughs> what else do we do? Uh, we never get sidetracked and talk about beer or drugs. We um, <laughs> we did not just have a half hour conversation about left handed people. And it's true. Not at all. All right. But anyway, the story you heard moments ago was about those uh, biologically created lithium oxygen battery electrodes. So in the same in that same area, uh, this paper is about lithium selenium batteries instead of lithium oxygen or lithium ion. The title of the paper is Delithiation Mechanism of Lithium Selenium Sulfur Batteries Determined by In Situ Synchrotron X-ray Diffraction and X-ray Absorption Spectroscopy. Hey, and I pronounced it all correctly this time. That's why like it takes that. a few practice rounds. Yeah. Um, this is from Argonne National Laboratory in Illinois and, and King Abdulaziz University in Saudi Arabia. So what they did for this paper... Oh, and the paper was published in uh, Journal of the American Chemical Society right. back in April of 2013, at the end of April. Wow, so this is really old. I don't know how it came up on, like, the very top of the page. Whatever. Old paper. Where that's Yeah, that's cool. Old news, whatever. Batteries. Yeah. <clears throat> so, what they're, try what they're trying to do here is uh, they have this idea that lithium-selenium batteries have the potential to have the same potential as lithium-oxygen batteries. Um, <laughs> so, they theoretically, they can have really high charge capacities, and they can discharge and charge quickly enough to be used as, like, a car battery. Uh, specifically, that's the application that they're shooting for with these kind of things. But the main problem, again, like with the last one, is the number of cycles that these can take. Um, so what they wanted to do was go to Argonne National Laboratory and use the uh, advanced photon source called APS Accelerator, where they have a synchrotron, a synchrotron accelerator. Wow. So the, the, the synchrotron is this big um, circular particle accelerator that can make X-rays coherent. Synchrotron can, can produce coherent X-rays. Okay. Which is, so it's sort of like a, a laser of X-rays. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what coherent means. Okay, that's, yeah. And the the building itself is really impressive if you look up pictures and things like Pic that. Well, of how much huge. it? Yeah. How much land it takes to make uh, something like that? Uh, yeah, it's nowhere near as big as the uh, as CERN, or the Large Hadron Collider right. in Geneva, but it's still pretty pretty dang big. And I think it would be awesome to like work there or do research there. Oh man, National Lab would be the best job. Or any National Lab. I know. Um, what they really wanted to do, so the, the general structure of a lithium-selenium battery is it's a lithium anode and then a selenium cathode separated by a carbon electrolyte. Carbonite. Carbon carbonate. Carbonate. Carbonate electrolyte. Uh, it's not exactly what Han Solo was frozen in. That no. was carbonate. <laughs> I was wondering, like, that one sounds familiar. Yep. <laughs> and somehow... <laughs> Fake? Yeah, and somehow not real. 
So carbon-8 would be 3 carbons, and carbonite would be... Eight, 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 I don't eight. know. I eight. forgot how nomenclature works. I have my OCHEM book right over there on the bookshelf, but... Yeah, this organic chemistry nomenclature stuff is complicated. Mm. IUPAC. Uh, we're graduate students, really. Because <laughs> we don't understand. Well, we're material science students and not chemists, we, yeah. because we don't really... That's where the distinction between chemical engineering and materials engineering <laughs> lies. Is, is how they, important they this is to us. Yeah. <laughs> they actually know this stuff, and we just pretend to know it. Yep. Anyway, what what they wanted to know was that, or what what they discovered, I'll just skip straight to the end. Yeah. What they discovered using the high-energy X-ray diffraction is that, at the APS, is that while they are discharging... Uh, the cathode starts out with lithium-2, selenium-4. So there's four seleniums for every two lithium. And then it decreases the number of selenium per lithium. So then it's lithium-2, selenium-2. And then it goes to lithium-2, selenium-1 uh, when, it's, when it's discharged. Okay. Uh, ideally, a, a, a total discharge would be only selenium, only crystalline selenium there. Okay. And, but they don't. They didn't see that. That's just what they were. They were hoping for. Right. Um, and that's so. That's actually what they have before they ever charge it up the first time. Hmm. And then when you're charging it, so when it's the second time you cycle it, uh, it starts out with lithium two selenium one, and then you get lithium two selenium four without any intermediary of lithium two selenium two. Hmm. So they thought that this was. Uh, it doesn't go in that same step. Yeah, so it kind of skips that, that lithium-2, selenium-2 step, and it just jumps to greater than 4. Um, this, this might have something to do with the, with the reaction of the lithium with the selenium crystal, probably because it's, not, it's, either, it's a different crystal state or, or there's a different driving energy when you're charging it. Okay. So it's able to, to go to that, uh, that other state right off the bat. Um, I, now I don't know if that actually means that's that's not immediately helpful, but it's it's good to know what the what the reaction is. Right. Um, they also did some charging and discharging tests for this, and they were able to get some capacity after after many cycles, um, up to fifty cycles. They have different lithium, selenium, and different selenium sulfur electrodes that they tested out. Okay. So they tested out just pure selenium, then selenium sulfur two, mm-hmm. and selenium sulfur seven. Hmm. So the the selenium sulfur seven cell actually had the highest capacity after fifty cycles. Wow! And the selenium sulfur two electrode had the second highest, and the pure selenium was the worst. So there, it looks like they realized that adding some sulfur to the selenium increases the charge discard, discharge capacity and the the number of cycles hmm. lifetime cycles um, they also noticed that us- using uh what was this eis what does that stand for uh that is electrochemical impedance impedance spectroscopy okay so using anyway so they used eis measurements yeah they were able to see that uh there's actually some problem with the carbonate that they use for the uh, electrolyte in between that it's it's unstable, which is very similar to 
problems that they've had in lithium oxygen batteries and mm -hmm. in lithium sulfur batteries. Hmm. So I'm not sure if you'd know, but why do they use uh, carbonate as their electrolyte? I do not know. Okay. Because if that's what gives other batteries a problem, like maybe yeah, I think a different you, source might be... Yeah, a different electrolyte is probably something that they need to investigate. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't address that anywhere in the paper that I've seen. Yeah, just a thought. They're just looking at the how the crystal structure of the of the electrode changes. Or I'm sorry, of the cathode changes. Yes. Yeah. So when you're when you're making a battery, the things you're concerned with are energy density per weight, energy density per volume. Did I say this in this one yes. already? Yes. You, you said it in the other one, I think. Either way, this is a review, yeah, just in okay. case. Yeah, okay, probably a review. <laughs> uh, the three things you care about are energy density per weight, energy density per volume, and charge and discharge capacity. But then, when you're actually trying to make a battery technology better, you care about the anode, what the anode is made of, and the structure of the anode, what the cathode is made of, and the structure of the cathode, and then what the electrolyte is. So I think I've explained what the how the battery works, but I actually didn't say how you try to optimize those. Um, the properties of the electrolyte is it's just something that has to be able to carry charge. So that's whether that be ions or electrons or holes or whatever you're using for right. your certain battery, uh, it has to carry it across without reacting at all, ideally, right, and without without causing any like interference or whatever. Okay, so that could be why they choose to use carbonate as Poss their electrolytes. Yeah, possibly. When you're making a, a fuel cell or a battery in uh, in your your material science class, you, you just use salt water or an acid or right. something like that as, as the electrolyte. Um, just because it carries a lot of ions and it doesn't cause that much. But I don't think anything is salt water in uh, in actual production batteries that I know of. Yeah. I've seen some research into some stuff that's like open ocean batteries and that's that's kind of cool but who knows not yeah. exactly what not exactly a commercial right batteries like a normal AA battery will have an acid in there and that's the electrolyte right then what you want to improve with the cathode is two things you have to worry about you want as much surface area as absolutely possible right. so with that, you do things like you poke a bunch of holes in it so it's like the shape of a sponge, or you make nanowires with viruses like the previous yes. story. <laughs> Spiky nanowires. Yeah. Um, or, or do whatever you can to get absolutely as much surface area as possible. But you also have to be concerned with the how, how the, the material reacts. So sometimes when you move the charge to that cathode side, mm -hmm. it'll react too strongly and it'll just stay there, and then you'll never be able to charge up the battery again. Um, yeah. You have to worry about that same thing with the anode, but I think surface area is not as important with the anode. I'm or, not sure. Okay. Um, anodes are usually something like a, a metal. Yeah. So it's just straight up lithium um, in this case. But I don't know what... I don't actually know what you need to do to optimize an anode or whether that's, that's right. even important. May, it might be that our anodes are already optimized right, fairly well. For batteries, well. anyway. Yeah, for batteries. Um, I think that's all we have for this for yeah. this story. Um, this this paper is actually a uh, an open access paper, I believe. We're gonna 
Uh, oh, no, no it's it not. isn't. No, no, I had no. to. Yeah, I had to go right. through our school library to access this paper. Never mind. What are they talking about then? Did they say it was open oh, access? Oh, this no, something else is. Oh, uh, there's they have su- supplementary supporting... info is open access, but to get the whole article, see your local library. Yeah, university library. Universe, talk to the university library or the company that or, you work for, or, or shell out some cash. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well. I think that's all we have for that story. So we're actually going to, since we're finished with uh, batteries. batteries, with lithium batteries, so now we're actually going to change to fuel cells, but we're going to go back to bio yeah. something. <laughs> uh Alright, so for this story, we're actually going to go back to talking about bioengineering kind of stuff, and uh, but change away from lithium, fuel, lithium batteries to go to fuel cells. Specifically, microbial fuel cells. Microbial fuel cells, yeah. So this is actually kind of cool, and I had never even heard of this until started researching this paper. So maybe a good uh, basis of what a microbial fuel cell would be a good start. Sure. Um, the title of this paper is uh, Nanostructured Macroporous. title of this paper is Nanostructured Macroporous Bioanode Based on Polyaniline Modified Natural Lufa Sponge for High-Performance Microbial Fuel Cells. Which is kind of a mouthful. Except, oh, I think those words are actually like a little easier than, uh, yes. than the previous yeah, title. It, they just have a lot of information in that title. Yeah. So what they're doing here is they're actually making microbial fuel cells. Um, The way this works is it's similar to... Wow, this is actually going to be really confusing because the last two stories were lithium batteries and this is a fuel cell. Um, They're very similar in layout. Okay. Sort of. Because they have... All right. The the words... We're going to be using the same words to describe it because there's a cathode and an anode and an electrolyte. Okay. So what a microbial fuel cell is sort of similar to a normal fuel cell, except that it uses uh, microbes on the anode to actually create the electrons that you collect. Okay. Um, a fuel cell is has a cathode and an anode, just like a lithium battery, except fuel cells we actually use to create energy instead of just store it and put it back, or okay. store it and use it again, right. like a battery. Okay. Um, so they, they generate? So the, Yeah, these actually generate energy. So what a, a, a you've, uh, you might have heard of fuel cells in like hydrogen fuel cells for car where you put hydrogen in, in and then it actually it burns in quotes that hydrogen to turn it into energy. Okay. That your car uses to run. So in this case, okay, I yeah. Guess, so, so so microbial fuel cells are I'm going to actually going to read the first sentence of the abstract verbatim. Microbial fuel cells are a promising technology to recover electrical energy from different types of waste. So, uh, if you've seen Back to the Future, 
where you have the Mr. Fusion and he's dumping garbage in, <laughs> yeah. and it's just turning that into energy, that's sort of what a microbial fuel cell would do. Because he uses microbes to break down it organic organic material matter yeah. into it uses sort of a sort of organic material as fuel it, they, some of them use things like sugar mm-hmm. that you can put in there but so a lot of foods will have sugars in them already and then it, it uses that to generate electricity right and again what and what so what they're doing is is in a, a microbial fuel cell um, you have the cathode, and that's just a normal. That's a cathode similar to like you would have in a battery, okay. where it's high surface area, and it's sort of like a an oxide where we are. It's a catalytic surface where a reaction takes place. Okay. But in the in this case, it's it's usually reacting uh, oxygen and hydrogen to make to make water. Hmm. For a lot of these microbial fuel right. cells. Right. Right. Um, which is actually why when you're looking at like a hydrogen fuel cell, the only output is water. Right. So on the anode side, though, the anode is actually covered with this this biofilm of microbes. Um, right. And well, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the the biofilm is something that uh, back well in this case bacteria will form as they're kind of their protective nest it's a layer of all of the bacteria interconnected together it provides it protection from damage or harm in any way but it also provides nutrients to the bacteria so um like when you have a bacterial infection when it's really bad that's what you're like the antibiotics you take are trying to penetrate the biofilm trying to break it down and separate the bacteria so they're easier to kill off but in this case, we want the biofilm to be strong wrapped around the anode yeah, because that's where the, all the bacteria are our energy source. So instead of using something like electricity to generate more electricity or to break down a fuel, right, the, bio, the, the bacteria are actually decomposing something to get electrons out of it. Right. Um, and then their output is carbon dioxide and hydrogen ions. Uh, so... There is still carbon dioxide put out of a, a microbial fuel cell, <laughs> so it's not exactly perfect. But it's not carbon but, monoxide. But it's not carbon monoxide like you have with cars, and then right. you have to oxidize that with a, a, a catalytic converter, and then yeah, so it's it's not perfect, but it's still really cool. Uh, and who knows, maybe it gets rid of some trash. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the the other cool thing that they did in this study is that they actually. Use a loofah sponge, a natural loofah sponge, as the anode material. Right. So you, they took plants. Yeah. In in the previous one, they had vir- or in the very first paper we talked about today, they had viruses creating a nanostructure lattice for the cathode. Now we're taking a loofah sponge, right, and carbonizing that to create a high surface area place for the the uh, biofilm to to live in right for it to grow for it's, it to grow so the um the open the open structure of you know a, you know a loofah is is porous and it's but it's a pretty strong network of the material but it's open and that structure the high, that structure actually promotes the biofilm growth so it improves the this, the the strength of the, the yeah strength it, of yeah it. it improves the the strength of the biofilm which is good yeah so that people have tried other things before like using uh, ceramic foams or activated carbon right that sort of thing and activated carbon is great because it has really high surface area but mm-hmm. 
even with that, you lose a lot of the surface area because there there's lots of holes in it, but they're not all connected. Right, right. Um, so activated carbon is different from regular carbon in that more of the holes are open and they are connected. That's that's what the activated term means. Right. But there's it's still not perfect. It's just it's just really good. Um, people have also used carbon sheets. No, not carbon sheets. Like carbon cloth. Hmm. Sort of. I read something about carbon cloth as a, as an anode for for these microbial fuel cells. Um, so what they actually did was because you still do want that carbon material, right? Uh, and you don't want to use a live loofah, right? Or what, what is it's a loofah so, a plant? Yeah, it's a plant. Okay. They actually have in this article they have a picture of the loofah plant with its like in its natural state. It kind oh, of I looks like that. a cucumber. It, like it's just a green like whoa I missed that I missed that completely yeah so they uh, explain the steps of how they first they have to polymerize the uh, loofah fibers so that it becomes a strong network of it and then they carbonize the loofah okay and the carbon is yeah at like nine hundred degrees Celsius so the polymerization step they do they do it in a vacuum so they take the loofah and they cut it up into the shape that they want Mm -hmm. and then they put it in a vacuum to dry it so it sucks out all the air all the water everything at 60 degrees celsius so that's warm but not not hot it's not even boiling well it's warmer than you want to be outside in oh yeah it's hot but it's not (laughs) so you're not really cooking it you're just kind of you're just getting all of the air and everything out right so it sucks it sucks it out super dries it and then you put it in a back in another chamber with nitrogen, just pure nitrogen, mm-hmm. and they pump that up to 900 degrees Celsius to just take all of that and almost burn it without letting any fire because they they fill oxygen right. or they take out all the oxygen and they replace that with a nitrogen atmosphere. Yes, so that it can't actually burn. Um, sort of similar to how you make carbon nanotubes, yes. right? Yeah, something yeah. like that. It's, it's a very similar process. And um, so, as a result of the the uh, the loofah ends up be, being like really high surface area. Yeah, it has really very strong. very high surface area is very st- structurally strong, and the loofah is now with uh, it now has nitrogen rich carbon in its structure, which helps facilitate um, the oh, the growth. E E T stand for no. Uh, extracellular electron transfer. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so it, it helps uh, promote EET between uh, the bacteria and the electrode itself and the anode so that the, the products from the biofilm are actually, the ion, uh, the, yeah, the, uh, the electrons produced from the biofilm are actually transferred to the anode and Makes the cell work. Okay. And yeah. the, the results said that they actually exceeded the power density of a conventional 3D electrode. Um, but I don't... I think it's in the uh, abstract where they give you a real number. Yes. Okay, yeah. The, so the power density was 1,090 milliwatts per square meter. which And they say that that's much greater than uh, obtained by similarly sized traditional 3D, three-dimensional anodes. Uh, but they don't actually give a number to compare it to. Just much greater. Yeah, so generally, it's much greater. <laughs> I, I think generally you would say much greater is an order of magnitude. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. It's a... Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, so... I think we might have actually missed that. 
paper or this was this was published in Environmental Science and Technology, which is uh, a which is part a, of ACS. Yeah, part of the American Chemical Society, and uh, it was published in November of 2013. Right, just after the virus battery uh, publication cool. was approved. So, so lots of there's there's lots of research into this. Uh, we are bridging the gap between bioengineering. And materials engineering, and mm-hmm. now I can have a job. Everybody, I'm really excited. <laughs> you still have to graduate with your master's. I'll be done soon, but now there's a market. There you go for people like me. All right. So I think this stuff, this stuff is really cool, but I don't really know what else to say about it. Yeah. It well, I, one thing that I want to like criticize a little bit is they didn't tell us. I guess it wasn't important, but I'm curious about the type, what type of bacteria they use for. These fuel cells. Yeah. I, I know you found some, like, typical bacteria they use for fuel cells, like, um, photo... So, the, one of the types of uh, micro... Yeah, one of the types of microbial fuel cells uses... Phototrophic? Uh, photo... There. Yeah, they use photosynthetic microorganisms, like chlorophyta, cyanophyta, and things like that. Uh, I don't know if those are very specific names, uh, but they're... Well, they're classes they're of classes. Okay. bacteria, but what's important is they're phototrophic. Yeah, so this the, this phototropic biofilm, you would feed it fuel, which would just be biomass or organic matter, mm-hmm. um, and then expose it to the sun, and it would take the energy from the sunlight to convert the fuel, the organic matter, into electricity. And it, it, so it like breaking things down, it has extra electrons, and it leaves the electron on the anode, and then that goes, and you steal that to, to right. create your... Uh, yeah. Your power source. Yep. So I'm not sure if they necessarily use those because they don't really specifically state the type of bacteria that they use. I imagine that might be complicated if we wanted to use this fuel cell for like a car because that'd be closed off from the sun, wouldn't it? Yes, but I don't think that these kind of fuel cells are actually uh, intended for for car okay. generation. This is this is more like something that you would you would have big tanks of. Uh, microbial fuel cells on the roof and it's just constantly generating a little bit of power for you for like a or just for normal electricity use and then you'd store that in a battery for... okay so more like for home yeah something like a home maybe for a business maybe a, a microbial power plant out in the ocean or something okay yeah it's not the power density is not that high compared to other technologies it's right. just is just a technology. Um, yes. It's it's not one that's exceptionally fast, but it's one that's I would say almost free. Yeah, power. I, I uh, kind of like that. It's to you, solar and, yeah, and wind and things like that. It uses um, so many. I, I like that it uses uh, so many like naturally occurring. Yeah. It's a regenerate. Uh, yeah, it's a sustainable energy source. Um, as long as you don't mind breeding bacteria biofilms, yeah. Yeah. which I guess it's a very specific bacteria. It does a certain thing. It, Probably doesn't make people sick. Uh, right now. Right you now. Know, as I, I mentioned before, <laughs> yeah. bacteria evolve, and that's why we keep you know, fighting off the same illnesses over and over again. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> I think some of them just aren't like that kind. Yeah. Well, there are types of... There's actually... Um, uh, it's, it's like... Is it the kingdom barrier or something like that? There, there's actually a phrase for this about why certain bacterias only infect certain kingdoms of organisms so some bacteria certain bacteria will only infect plants and certain bacteria will only infect people okay <laughs> they some they, sometimes there are cases where uh, people have been 
Yeah, or they say that the bacteria that they were working with, you know, had... Um, like, jumped? Had jumped, yeah. Had made the jump, and they're not really supposed to do that. Okay, yeah, but it's, it's possible because <laughs> bacteria, they grow right. a lot, and they have exactly. a lot of chances to uh, have random mutations that lead to evolutions. Exactly. But I guess, and but I guess what's important with the, these fuel cells, like, they don't, they won't last forever, and we will have to recycle them in some shape or form. And this might have to be regulated yeah. because I don't trust everyone to responsibly dispose of their bacteria. <laughs> I, don't know how, how, I don't know how different this is than just having compost pile, though. I suppose. Well, I... Well, you, you don't regulate compost piles. No. Do we know that the bacteria that we use for these fuel, that's used for these fuel cells are safe for plants? I don't know anything. Yeah. They, yeah, they didn't. They didn't, even <laughs> they didn't say, tell us. So yeah, that could be one anything. question. You know, is it dangerous to the plant life? That yeah, it could. Yeah, as I said, okay, yeah, maybe it doesn't hurt people, but it's gonna like kill all the trees. We don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I know that's that's an hyperbolic statement, but. Uh... <laughs> but it's it's a valid concern, I guess. I there will be people that will be like, but what about? Mutant trees and the, and whatever. Yeah, everybody's always concerned. Concerned about back, about this sort of yeah. That's genetic I think engineering. Exactly. I don't know that these these specific bacteria. They're not have genetically to be, modified though. Yeah, they're, they're not modified like the viruses were. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I'm almost less worried about it. Right. Even though that's completely unreasonable, not for any reason. Good reason. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, this this stuff is pretty cool. I had never even heard of microbial fuel cells or mm. biological fuel cells until uh, until we found this paper. Yeah, this is a uh, very exciting. And as I said, I there is a potential now because more people are like seeing that there is, it is possible to bridge the organic and inorganic life to make new things. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I I like other. This is kind of a side note, but I know people talk. To, about um, using modified viruses to do 3D printing or self-assembly and things like that, just like we have for the nano catalyst for yeah, the batteries. And he said, well, what if we use, we can just make viruses that will build houses for us and things like that. I mean, that's crazy that right now. Like, that potential sounds like, could you imagine just, like, but it's almost a as massive as virus just... Build in a brick house, like well, it wouldn't be brick, but it wouldn't be one massive virus either. Probably, right? It'd probably be a bunch of viruses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant a mass of viruses. Oh, a mass of viruses, not like one big virus. Yeah, that doesn't. That doesn't. That doesn't happen. <laughs> no, no. I think it happens with bacteria, though. Aren't there some really? There's some uh, macroscopic bacteria yes. that you can see with yes. your eyes. Yes. That's kind of freaky. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, right. yeah. So there's. If you want to look up, uh, we'll have notes to. Uh, or links to some stuff about these this story and all the stories we talked about today in the show notes on the website, which is laserpodcast.com. Uh, if you want to send us an email with any comments or anything about the show, you can send you can send an email to contact at laserpodcast.com. Or if you want to contact me personally, I'm Cameron at laserpodcast.com. Um, if you want to send Emily an angry email about something she said... I have one. <laughs> I, I can make you one. Be Emily at laserpodcast.com if you want it. Harass yeah. me. I dare you. <laughs> uh, you can now email me at um, 
via Emily at laserpodcast.com and grill me on my uh, biology knowledge. Please do. <laughs> I need to get better at this. You're, you're uh, biomaterials. Yes. Not just I, I'm biology. not just materials. I am not biology. I am into biomaterials. You well, you can contact the show on Twitter at, at laserpodcast. Um, or you can find us on Facebook or Google+. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so thank you for listening to episode seven of Laser. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. This has been the Laser Podcast, or Let's Agree Science and Engineering are Rad. Show notes are available on the website at laserpodcast.com. You can send us an email, contact at laserpodcast.com. Contact us on Twitter at laserpodcast, or find us on Facebook or Google+. You can leave a rating on iTunes or listen to us on Stitcher. The intro music is Open from the band Crying, and the outro music is Dreams Are Maps from The Wild. You can find more information about the show, links to all the stories we talk about, in the show notes on the website. Thanks. Bye. episode this is <laughs> which episode is this ba, ba, ba. it's the best episode the best episode that's what we'll call it <laughs> hello and welcome to the best episode of <laughs> <laughs> podcasts i've done episodes one through six we've only done six episodes what you had a bunch of mini ones i guess too. so yeah all right six episodes Are people listening? <laughs> right now? No, in general. Oh, like, yeah. That's good. Um, 500 downloads from the website, 100 downloads from, like, 500 different people. Wow. From the website. And that's definitely not my friends, so. <laughs> yeah, right? Maybe. <laughs> and 100 people on Stitcher. And, yeah, I think we have about 90 iTunes subscribers or something. Maybe not quite that many, but... Still, that's... Wow. I'm kind of speechless. I'm really impressed. <laughs> I don't know. Probably people just subscribe and don't even listen. Just download it. Whatever. It still looks good. Yeah, right? Right. It's that. Good stats. Good. 2003 was the last biology class I took. Well, good thing I like wow, biology classes, guys. That's <laughs> ten years ago. I haven't taken... Oh, no, I guess I took BME 111. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yeah, I haven't taken a biology class in ten years. Wow. I take one about every year, because I like them.
lithium selenides. Selenides. Selenum. Trying to make up a word. It's probably something like that. Uh, selenides. Polyselenides. Selenide. Okay. Uh, hey, Dash, don't drink the Christmas tree water. Dash, uh-uh, you know better. <laughs> At least he's not in the tree yet. He doesn't climb the tree, he just drinks really? the tree water. My roommate's cat used to climb in our fake tree Hey. and just, like, chill in the tree. Do you want me to get the spray bottle? Okay. This episode brought to you by Tree Water. <laughs> I can't even do it. Brought to you by Tree Water. Your cat will trip balls. <laughs> you probably cannot use that in the podcast recording because I say offensive things and I should not be represented as... I should not be here as a representative of the educated and affluent of Arizona State. <laughs> we let Chase on the podcast. Except that it's in Chicago. What's wrong with... (laughs) Any of our listeners in Chicago, (laughs) I uh, deeply apologize. Sincerely, for my uh, co-hosts. I guess it's not technically in Chicago. No, Argonne is not Chicago. I don't know anything about Illinois geography. I'm a scientist, not a geographer. No, national laboratories are always kind of like... Outside of the city. Out in the distance, in yeah. the fields, so nobody disturbs them. And so the scientists can't do anything else. <laughs> Except research. <laughs> they, like, sequester them away. They're like, oh, well, you could go home or go out, but there's not really anything around here unless you want to drive for two hours. <laughs> so you should just come back to work. Yep. That probably is how national it, labs work. That probably. It, yeah. It's a combination of trying to keep the public away from the, the research as well as keeping the researchers away from the public. <laughs> well, part of it is probably how expensive land is, too. Uh, that, too. Uh, anyway. bad. Now I'm never going to get a job at a national laboratory. Because <laughs> they're going to hear this, they're going to Google my name, and they're going to trace me back to this podcast, and it's all going to be over. That's it. Whatever. I don't care. Okay. Do you want to do this whole story again, just real quick? Yeah. <laughs> We're just kind of messing around up here. I guess that, that should be what the takeaway is. They could they couldn't actually. What's the word? Oh my gosh! What's the word? What do you call it? Sustainable. Sustainable. It's a sustainable energy source. How can I not know the word sustainable? That is the buzzword of oh, the man. century. Sustainability.